We're reading from Luke chapter 4, 42 to 44. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Perfect. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> that is our text for today. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and open it up there. Uh, there's Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you to Luke 4, 42 to 44. As we saw that last week, so the day before this whole story happens, Jesus has just preached in a synagogue. Then he cast out a demon out of a man that was in the synagogue. Then he went and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says throughout the evening, he was healing and casting out demons and all of this throughout the night. And then he woke up early the next day on Sunday. Sunday was his time to slow down. So we're calling this the Sunday slowdown. So Jesus worked on the Sabbath day. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit. But then he slowed down on Sunday for him. He slowed down and he was intentional about how he did that. So a big part of what we will talk about is how can we incorporate the rhythms and the practices that Jesus incorporated into his life for us so that we can be both healthy and purposeful with our lives, okay? So the first thing that we see Jesus do is that he works hard, but he rests intentionally. And that's what we see there in that first verse that Jacob just read for us of where the very early that next morning, he goes out by himself to be alone, to an isolated place. He had just worked very hard, and now he rests, but he rests intentionally. So what we see here is we see Jesus, he's, he's alone. This gospel of Luke, that's all it says. He just went to an isolated place and was alone. We see in uh, the gospel of Mark where it says he went alone to pray. I don't know why Luke doesn't mention that that's what he was doing as well, but I think it's key that he was alone. He needed to have this time to be away from the crowds, away from the work, away from the busyness. He needs that time to be alone. And now you can, maybe you're a person that like loves being with people. You love being with people or you love your work, you love your job, you love the areas that you get to serve the Lord within, whatever that might be, ways that you serve or you volunteer in different areas or you have just this evangelist heart, you really love to be able to share your faith with people so you're always developing relationships, you're caring for others. Whatever it is, like the way that you are wired, whatever you both love to do and are called to do and you're doing it, you also need to make sure that you are able to get away from all of that, away from the people, away from the pace, and to have not just relaxing, but rest. I think maybe we understand what it means to work hard, even if we're not, like, act, we're not actually good at doing it. <laughs> some of you are and some of you aren't, okay? So there's this, like, we get working hard. I think we can get our heads around that. We can get our heads around relaxing, but relaxing is different than this, intentional rest. 
okay? So I think sometimes we're really good at maybe just lounging. I'm really good at lounging around and watching TV all day or something. But uh, we need to be good about intentional rest is what we see that Jesus does. And caring for like our own, our own health, our own soul. I remember I was a youth pastor when I first started in ministry, and there was this book that came out called Feeding Your Forgotten Soul, a book for, it was a book for people in youth ministry. And it was just like, remember that you have to care for yourself within this to be healthy. And Jesus shows us this pattern. He works really hard, but he has intentional rest. And so what does this intentional rest look like? What could this look like in your life. Now, here's, here's a, a few things that I think. The first is to have intentional rest, not just relaxing, it, <clears throat> excuse me, is to abide in the Father and abide in the Father alone. You can take that sentence both like in two ways, okay? To abide only in the Father, but also to be alone while abiding in the Father. That is what we should be doing. Uh, John 15, 4, that we see here says, remain in me. This is Jesus saying this. Remain in me or abide in me, uh, most translations say, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So we want to abide or remain, to be connected to the vine. If we are the branches and he is the vine, we want to be connected to him. That word connected, that's even like a word that my wife and I use even when in our relationship together. Like sometimes, you know, we're, we're kind of going along with life and it'll sort of feel like if we start to get sort of uh, like we'll bicker with each other, or we'll just feel a little bit off. Kind of the language that we even use is like, I don't feel connected to you right now. Because often we get into the busyness of life and it can sort of just feel like you're, you're partners in life instead of actual this like intimacy of love and connection to one another. And so we recognize this need Usually, like, everything that that means is if we are spending time alone with one another, one-on-one, -on -one, then we're feeling more connected. And so it's like this sort of, uh, like, little, like, alert lights, like a warning light for us of, hey, we need to be more connected. And I think that's a lot of what things are like in our relationship with the Lord, that we can sort of start to feel a little bit off or a little bit disconnected. And so we need to be able to have time to rest intentionally, abide in the Father alone, to be with him. And so that's important for us to have that kind of alone time. Now, I know for me, that alone time, being in solitude with God, is probably what is the absolute most important thing for my relationship with God, to have that sense of feeling connected. Like, I need to have that alone time. Sometimes that means, like, extended alone time, hours, or a I'll take a couple days, I'll go I'll take a couple days and just be like, I need to go and be with God. And so that's important for us. Whatever that can be in your life's rhythm and schedule, to set time away and apart to be alone with God. And for me, that's like where I feel like the most time that I actually have any sense of kind of hearing God speak to me or even these sort of, these things we hope to have, these sort of transcendent experiences with God, like those times, have to, we have to be careful to not spend time with God so that we can have this like sort of transcendent experience with God or like a, a deep sense of his love for us should be able to be there. But we're not like pursuing the experience. 
we're pursuing God, and then that will come. That will come. But it's also like recognizing that I, I need to have that time no matter what. No matter what the sort of feeling result is of that time, I need it. And it, it kind of goes along with the way we talk about worship here at Calvary a lot, is we, we use the term realignment, right? That worship realigns us with God. We come back into alignment with him. And that's similar, very similar, if not just exact same, with this time alone of abiding in the Father. That we could be in alignment with God, right? The two parallel line illustration. I just want to give it again and again and again. Because we are in alignment with God. We're moving kind of in the same direction with him. And he is with us, right? But then sometimes things happen where we have just some sort of bad day. Or we have a sin that comes into our life. Or we are worried or stressed about certain things. And it will take us like a little click out of alignment, and then what happens is if we continue in that, right, we know that it will just get farther and farther and farther apart as life goes on. And so it's important to have these realigning moments, these realigning experiences. Time alone with God realigns you. Worship and even really giving yourself to worship, not just going through the motions of the singing worship I'm talking about right now, not just going through the motions of it, but saying, okay, well, I'm just going to engage in this. It helps realign you back with the Lord. These sorts of breaks, these extended times with God are really important for us as kind of the, the worries, the anxieties, and the temptations of this life creep in. We abide in the Father alone. And within that time, we, we surrender ourselves to dependence on God. And we say, Lord, I depend on you for anything I could do. Let's look at the very next verse in John 15. It says, yes, this is Jesus again. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that apart from God, you can do nothing? We have to place ourselves into full dependence on God. And that's part of what that time away from the work, from the busyness. Even the whole point of even Sabbath is a recognition that God is the one that does the work. Like the work of God will continue without me. God doesn't depend on me, I depend on God, right? And so that's what we want to try to remind ourselves in that time alone with him, that we are fully dependent on God. And within that time, we search for him, we seek after him with our heart. That's part of, I think, what's good for us to do. We get alone and we're like, Lord, I, I'm just longing for more of you, God. I'm searching for you. I'm digging into your word. I'm opening my heart to God. I'm praying. I'm just sharing the sort of the rawness of my heart, my emotions, my thoughts, giving that over to the Lord as I seek after him. I encourage you to turn to Psalm 63 in your Bibles there. You can see that it's on page 344 of those ones that are in the back of the seat in front of you, if that helps. Psalm 63. I'm going to read first eight verses of this. I think this, this kind of helps us uh, with some things to think about even doing or mindsets to have as we consider abiding in the Lord, resting intentionally with God. Psalm 63, 1. 
And even the little description, it's cool. It says, regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. This, uh, when Jesus goes to an isolated place, it's a desolate place. It's often thought of to be the wilderness where he goes, the desert. Psalm 63, one. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. We start with an acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. God, you are the Lord and I seek after you. I search for more of you. And then it continues. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. We can often feel like the world that we live within is a parched, desolate, weary land without water. And so we're searching after that refreshment from the Lord. That's what this time away with him does. Verse two. Now he kind of like describes like a bit of this these experiences that he's had with God. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. So he remembers these times he's had with God in his temple, in the, or in his, in, his, uh, in his sanctuary. This would not quite be the temple yet with David. And then it says, verse 6, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. So we meditate on God. We dwell on him. We think about who he is and his goodness. So we spend time meditating upon the Lord. Then verse 7, because, why? Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. And then David, like he does, says, now go kill all my enemies and stuff like that. So we'll, we don't need to go there. But uh, that's okay, too, if you got those kind of thoughts. You can give them to God. <laughs> but, uh, but that's where, uh, that's the kind of mindset that we want to have of seeking after God with all of our heart. And I want you to know that God is, God is waiting there in that place for you. When you come to the Lord, often we'll come and we'll be thinking, well, I didn't do it this day and this day and this day, and I should have spent more time with God, and I'm just sort of like thinking badly about myself. But God's not thinking about that, okay? God is on the edge of his seat. God's on his tiptoes waiting. He's longing. Like I think about my daughters, and I think about, you know, if they could be mean to me or whatever, and that's fine because we kind of play around. But like, or if they just don't want to spend time with me because they got their friends and they got their stuff. But if they say, hey, Dad, can we hang out? I'm just like, yes, I'm in. I'm not like, well, you know, you didn't hang out with me like last week. You know, like that's, no, that's not my attitude. My attitude is not like, it's like I want to, I long to be with them. And I'll join in any time. Imagine how much more a perfect heavenly father is just longing and wanting to be with you. He's not like, well, I'm not going to spend time with you because on Tuesday I wanted you to have your quiet time and you didn't do it. You know, that's not the attitude of God. God is in. God is ready. God longs to be gracious to you. God wants to spend time with you. He's there and ready to engage with you. So, so enter in. And uh, so, men, you're going to have to figure out a time to do this on your own. But ladies, we got a time for you. Saturday, okay? 
Saturday Slowdown is coming up this Saturday, and it's just going to be a, a cool time. I mean, this is the stuff I was already talking about. This is the event that's just already happening. I need to tell you about this in the sermon, because this is really important for you. Women of Calvary on Saturday from 9 to 3, a time of worshiping, of realigning in that way, of some connection together, but then just having time alone with the Lord to slow the pace of life and spend some time connecting and abiding with your good, good father. So I encourage you to check that out. Table and lobby, go online, you could register. Love for you to be part of that, to take advantage of that time. But no matter what, for all of us, we've also provided some really great resources. If you remember in the fall, we went through a whole series called Life with God, and we have all these kind of like these videos and like instructional sheets that describe just like how can I um, do some of these spiritual practices of spending time with the Lord. And you can find those on our website there. So I just encourage you to use some of these resources we've developed for you and to just spend time. If you're like, I don't know what to do with this time, this can help you, okay, of reading the Bible, of listening to the Lord, of prayerfully reading the scriptures in kind of a new, fresh way for you, uh, prayer, whatever that could be, we have all sorts of ways that you can spend time with God. Now, when Jesus goes and does this, Jesus goes and he's, he goes and he's alone and he's isolated and spending time with the Father, and it says then the people are all looking for him, right? And the people find him, and the people say, stop being alone, like, come on, come be with us, don't go. And Jesus is kind of doesn't, he's not going to allow himself, though, to be sort of kept by just one group of people because Jesus has come for all people and Jesus didn't just come to do a bunch of miracles for one village on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus came to proclaim who he was. And so Jesus would not be distracted and could not be distracted from his mission. This is why I was sent. And so we work hard, we rest intentionally, and we need to stay focused on mission. Let's look at these next two verses again, verse 43 to 44. Good grief. Uh, 44. They begged him not to leave them, and then it says, But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. So Jesus was saying, hey, I know you want me with you, and this has been good, but I have come for a reason, to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so part of this working hard but resting intentionally, it's working hard for the right things. It's not just busyness, and it's not even just doing what's good. It's trying to figure out what is best. And we figure that out by spending time with the Father alone. That's how we know what's best, is to spend time with the Father, to dig into his word, to listen for his voice, and then to respond out of that, and then we do what he has called us to do. And Jesus makes it very clear here what it is that he is called to do, because he says, I must do this, and this is why I was sent. And what was it? It was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is why he has come. This phrase, the gospel of, king, of the kingdom of God, appears 31 times in the gospel of Luke. 
and another seven times in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which Luke also wrote. So you can see he keeps coming to this and repeating it over and over again because this is important in Jesus' mission to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. I want to explain that a little bit to you. But first, I want us to think about uh, a concept called mission drift. You heard that phrase before, mission drift. We see this sometimes in organizations or even ministries where they have been uh, started for a certain purpose or a certain reason, and then over time, they sort of start to forget their core mission and drift off into other things. Sometimes that could just be doing something different, but sometimes that's getting off track uh, of what they are really should be doing. I don't want to pick on a bunch of organizations, but I'll just pick on one because um, it's a little more, I think, obvious. I don't know if you know the, the core mission, even in the mission statement originally of Harvard University was, it was this, that to instruct students to know God and to know Jesus Christ. That is just clearly not the mission of Harvard University anymore. That is mission drift. And so they're doing like education in like not like really, really well, right, in a lot of ways, but they have gotten away from their core mission. And so we have to be careful that we don't drift in that way to do good things, but that aren't what really Jesus wants us to be doing. Now, I believe good deeds lead to good news, and we should be about both. We've talked a lot about word, deed, power, right? All these three, we need all of it. So it's not just saying all we do is go around and just like only say words, but good deeds lead to good news. And so we need to be careful to not have that mission drift. But let's talk more about gospel of the kingdom of God, if this is what Jesus says he came to preach. Now, this word gospel, it's kind of, it's like a very Bible-y word to us, but before uh, the New Testament, this was a word that was used in culture that before, you know, before it was thought of to be like a Christian word. And the gospel was uh, announcing a new king. It was like used in saying the gospel of this new king. This is the good news. Good news, everyone. The king is here, right? In that kind of way. That's the way that the, gospel, the word gospel was used. And so there was a gospel of Caesar. There was a gospel of Herod when they would come to be their, the king of their region or their empire. And so when Jesus comes and he says the gospel of the kingdom of God, he's being pretty subversive to the empire and to the kings of the day. And Jesus is now saying there is a new kingdom and a new king in town. And guess what? It's me. And he said that even in that synagogue in Nazareth when he read from Isaiah 61. He said, my kingdom is here and my kingdom looks like this. My kingdom looks like bringing good news to the poor, bringing sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free, bringing the year of the Lord's favor, like all that, all those beautiful announcements. This is what the kingdom of God will bring. And I am the king. The king is here. And so Jesus says all of that, and the, the king is here now. So he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is here because it's me. And uh, part of that is, is also that um, you think about what these other kingdoms were like. So King Herod the Great, who built all these places that still stand today. You can go visit these massive 
places like Masada or even the Temple Mount uh, or this place called the Herodian. These places are still there today, these incredible feats of architecture and building and kind of showing how big and broad and powerful his kingdom was. You think of all of the, the Roman Empire and their, their impact in that region of the world, which we still talk about today. These are powerful empires, but they were empires built on dominance, on slavery, on um, murdering others, you know, just taking land by force and forcing people to do their will. And so Jesus comes in with the gospel of the kingdom and it's an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom that was radically, radically different than these other empires, these other kingdoms. It's a kingdom that says the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's a kingdom that says there is somehow when you are weak, you are strong. There's a kingdom that says like, uh, we have come to be a servant, not to be served. Jesus says, I've come to serve where Jesus says he has come to suffer, not just to, to rule and to reign in a domineering fashion, but he came to suffer for us. And that suffering can be good for us even as well. Okay, this sounds pretty different than the kingdoms of this world. And so Jesus is coming to show a radical difference. Now he's just shown, don't forget, he said all that stuff uh, from Isaiah 61, setting the oppressed free and sight to the blind and all that. And then he just, the day before, showed that he has authority and power over demons, over disease, and he healed people, and he's doing all of that. So he has authority and power over this world, over the supernatural realm, all of it. And now he says, I got to go preach that I'm the king of this kingdom. And then he's about to then go and say, okay, now I also want 12 disciples. You're going to be my core disciples, and you're going to follow me. And the people of Israel are like, whoa, what do you mean 12, right? Because the 12 tribes of Israel, and thinking of himself, now, so now he is Israel's true king, and now these 12 disciples are there, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. So then uh, when I'm thinking about this kingship and uh, a king reigning, I couldn't help but think a little bit about what happened yesterday in England, where you've got this whole thing of the coronation of the king of England. And I didn't even really, these weren't planned to be together at all or anything. We just kind of put this all together. But, you know, I, you know, some of you might care and some of you probably just don't care at all. But like my, it's interesting, my family, <laughs> my family line. So my parents or my grandparents on my dad's side moved to Canada from England. And then, uh, my, and then my dad moved down here with my mom. My mom's parents moved from Sweden to Canada and they just like bought into the whole Commonwealth thing so much that my mom's name is Elizabeth Margaret Lydia Wakeling. Now, if you don't know that those are the three princesses, <laughs> okay, which one of them, Elizabeth, became queen. So she was named after like Elizabeth and her sisters, Elizabeth Margaret Lydia Wakeling. My dad's name is George Arthur Wakeling. So... King George, who my dad saw in Canada in the 40s, come down the street, and then they changed the name of the street to King's Way. And so my dad is named George and then Arthur. I mean, come on, what else you, like, can you get any more <laughs> like royalty in England? And so just like my grandparents were into it, all right? I don't really care. I just sort of looked at the pictures. It was interesting. But it's just like people are super into it. 
this whole thing of uh, the coronation of this new king is big news. And uh, you just probably saw like so much pomp and circumstance going into all of that, which also included, by the way, I saw a cool little video of one of the, the um, bishops or whoever said the ironic benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you over the king, which was kind of cool. Uh, but all of that uh, happening. Now, I say that to think about that's how we enthrone a king. That's how we coronate a king in our world today. Jesus's coronation, Jesus's enthronement looked more like this. The enthronement and the coronation of Jesus was to suffer and be lifted up on a cross. Our king turned everything upside down. A crown of thorns was pressed into his head as the blood flowed down his face. They mockingly put a robe upon him, a kingly robe, around him. And then they raised him up onto that cross and put a sign on it that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. That is the enthronement of our King. And so we think about the gospel of the kingdom of God. He is leading us towards this moment. The kingdom of God is the coronation of Jesus as King through his enthronement upon the cross. Now he showed us his kingship there, but he showed us his eternal reign and his ability to be the one that will reign forever and ever when he came out of that grave on the third day in power and victory over sin and death. And so that is who is our king. That is who we follow. And what we have to remember about Jesus, just like any other king, is kings demand submission. Kings deserve submission. Jesus deserves submission. We will all bend the knee. We will bow down before Jesus as our king. One day, no matter what, we all will. You can choose that today you will bow down before him intentionally and that you will voluntarily recognize him as the king of kings. That is our God. And so what I want to encourage you just before we will take, we are going to take a moment, the way we will celebrate the coronation of our king is through communion, okay, in just a moment. That's how we'll celebrate it. We don't, we're not going to have some big parade or whatever, okay? We're going to do that through remembering what he has done. But I also want you to remember that in the light of the rest of this passage, that we work hard, we rest intentionally to listen to the voice of the Father so that we can stay focused on the mission that he has sent us to do. You have been sent on mission in some way for God in this world. So I want to encourage you just like we all have to bend the knee, we all submit to him to obey him by taking those intentional steps, right? We listen for his voice. How should I go, Lord? What should I do? We listen, we read, we take that in, and then we respond. And we take small steps and then bigger steps and bigger steps of obedience to live out what he's called us to do, to share the gospel of the kingdom of God with the people that he has placed in our lives. And so let's be on that mission together in submission to our king. And right now, 
we remember the cost of that and the price of that and how his enthronement was so different. So we will take some time now to spend in communion. So in a moment, what we'll do is you can get up and go to one of these stations around the room and get the, the bread and the cup or the little, the little combo package, if you prefer, and to take that back to your seat, okay? So come in a moment and grab that and take that back to your seat and let some, spend some time reflecting, examining our life, examining ourselves, confessing any, any sin in our life that we feel like we need to confess to the Lord and, and just giving that over to him and then giving thanks to him and remembering the cost, the cross, the crown of thorns, how Jesus died for us, we remember. So let me pray for us, and then we'll just real quietly, prayerfully, just with a little instrumental music, let's just spend some time getting the elements and then reflecting upon them. Let's pray together. Jesus, we bow down before you as the king of all kings. We remember your coronation. And God, I pray that we would always just remember with deep, deep gratitude what you have done for us. That you gave your body for us, that you shed your blood for us, Lord. I pray that we would examine ourselves now and just reveal to us anything, Lord, just to confess to you. And I pray that we would know that we are then forgiven, God. You have forgiven us of all of our sins because of your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.